Welcome to Calibrate Conversations, a podcast about embracing God's standard for sexuality. I'm your host, Brady Cohn. If you'd rather listen to podcasts, make sure you find us on all the podcasting apps. We're everywhere on the internet. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. So check us out there too. And make sure you like this video, subscribe to our channel, and share with your friends. So today we're going to be talking about something that I, I've seen a lot of discussion on the, the last week or two. It's Andy Stanley, and I don't normally uh, kind of respond to a specific person because I want to just have unity within the church. I, I don't want it to build outrage against people. But I think that this is important because so many people are talking about it, and so many people are being swayed by this sort of teaching. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about, we're going to talk about the, confer the conference that Andy Stanley's church just hosted called called the Unconditional Conference. And then this last Sunday, he gave a sermon about uh, kind of providing some clarity about the conference and where his church stands. And so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that too. And so this conference um, has raised a lot of attention because it brought in speakers um, who uh, uh, were advocating for same-sex marriages. They were bringing in speakers who were openly gay and in same-sex marriages and relationships. And so there's no way that those speakers could be headlining a conference without that conference supporting the LGBTQ lifestyle. Andy Stanley is one of the most influential pastors in the U.S. His church, North Point Community Church in Atlanta, has tens of thousands of members, and he has a lot of influence in the evangelical world through his books and other media. So that's why I thought it was so important that we address this. We expect this type of conference and theology from the new liberal theology, from the mainstream theology, from some certain denominations. But I think that a lot of Christians are caught off guard that Annie Stanley has now gone this direction, which Honestly, it doesn't really surprise me because I've seen him going there for a while in some very subtle way, so I, I could kind of see this coming. But this is definitely, as Albert Muller put it uh, in his response, this is the train leaving the station. He's really made it official that this is where they're going. So this conference was a big deal. And so I want to give some responses to that. So I actually have 10 thoughts about this conference and Andy's response to it. But first, I want to watch a clip from his sermon on Sunday that I really think is powerful in explaining kind of where he is at as a church. And then I will give my, my responses to those. And many are convinced that traditional marriage is not an option for them. So they commit to living a chaste life, an old-fashioned word. And for many men and men, women who put their faith in Christ, they just decide, okay, I'm just going to buckle down. I'm just going to, I'm just going to bear down. I'm just going to be by myself. I'm not going to have family. I'm going to be sexually pure. And many, 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 many do that for long seasons of time. And some, for some, it's, it's, it's their whole life. But for many, that is not sustainable. And so they choose a same-sex marriage. Not because they're convinced it's biblical. They read the same Bible we do. They chose to marry for the same reason 
many of us did. Love, companionship, and family. And in the end, as was the case for all of us, and this is the important thing I want you to hear me say, it's their decision. Our decision is to decide how we respond to their decision. Our decision as a group of local churches is how are we gonna respond to their decision. And we decided 28 years ago, we draw circles, we don't draw lines. We draw big circles. If someone desires to follow Jesus, regardless of their starting point, regardless of their past, regardless of their current circumstances, our message is come and see and come sit with me. And this is not new. This is who we are, it's who we've always been, and this is why I love our church, and this is why I'm so extraordinarily proud of you. We aren't condoning sin. We are restoring relationships. And we are literally saving lives. Okay, well, there is a lot to unpack here. So here's 10 thoughts. First of all, I agree with Andy, that we need love and compassion. I talk about that all the time. I go to a lot of really conservative churches and I walk people through that. I talk to pastors about that. I talk to people about that. We need love and compassion. So I agree with him on that. And many times the church has not done a good job with that. And many times we need to repent. Many times we've had an attitude of self-righteousness and condemnation and judgment and in ways that we shouldn't. And so we need to repent of that. And so I, I agree with him there, but that I disagree with his conclusions or responses from that. So number two, Andy says that we draw circles and not lines. So that's just not true within Christianity. Jesus drew lines. Uh, the gospel draws lines. There are expectations in how we live. All theology draws lines. And in fact, in this sermon, Andy himself drew hard lines of this is what we do as a church and this is what we don't do as a church. And so we're always drawing lines and that that's part of, of theology of understanding what does God expect from us and what does he not expect from us? What's wrong and what's right? How are we supposed to live? And so theology does draw lines. We, we can't separate lines being drawn from theology. Uh, theology tells us what is true and what isn't true and where the line is to be drawn. At Calibrate Ministries, we have an entire ministry just for parents of LGBTQ kids because we want to be able to shepherd your hearts and encourage you and pray for you and your family as you navigate these situations. So just go to CalibrateMinistries.com and fill out the contact form, and I'd love to be in touch with you about how you can be involved in that ministry. Number three is this. Throughout the conference, he said, we're not trying to change your theology. So he claimed that this was about pastoral care and not theology. But honestly, those two cannot be separated because we pastor someone based on theology. We shepherd their heart towards truth. And if we believe that a same-sex marriage or a same-sex relationship is a sin, then we have to shepherd someone's heart towards that. We pastor them towards that. We can't claim that our theology teaches this, but I'm going to pastor someone in a different direction. If you're pastoring someone 
uh, to, to say that your same-sex marriage is okay, then then that's a reflection of your theology. And so we can't have this dichotomy between our theology, where we claim that, that God teaches, where we claim is what is true, versus how we pastor someone. That would be hypocrisy. That'd be leading people astray. And that's exactly what he's doing. Number four, he brought into the the talk this false dichotomy that if we don't affirm someone's sexuality, we're not loving them. It seems to me that was a theme throughout the conference is that um, if you don't affirm someone's uh, sexuality, then you're not loving them. And so in doing that, uh, they actually bought into this false talking point from the LGBTQ community. That's what the LGBTQ community says all the time is that you need to affirm our lifestyle, otherwise you hate us. And so that is a false dichotomy. That is a mistruth. And they have bought an end to that from uh, a group of people in a segment of society that is not following Jesus, that's blinded to their sin. And many re- many times the reason why LGBTQ people believe that is because they can't separate their sexuality from their personhood. Many times they believe that you know, when Christians say things like, um, love the sinner but hate the sin, that they can't understand that because to them their sexuality is who they are. And so they say you can't hate the sin and love me because homosexuality, bisexuality, whatever it is, is who I am. And so they have bought into this false form of personhood that makes sexuality part of who you are and they can't see the bigger per- person. And so it's unfortunate that they bought into um, a, a false talking point that really uh, causes this unity and causes people to try to sway their theology and think that I have to choose this person over um over what God says, and that's just not true. My fifth thought is this. He claimed that people who are in same-sex marriages uh, know it's a sin, but that's a choice they have made. In my experience of walking along hundreds of people and hundreds of families, I don't think that that's true. Most people who are living in a same-sex relationship has been convinced the Bible doesn't condemn it. Uh, they've been swayed that the Bible either isn't true or the the passages that talk about sexuality actually mean something else. I have met very few people in a same-sex relationship or marriage who say, I know that this is a sin, but this is just a choice I'm making and I'm okay with it. If they believe it's a sin, they are going to daily feel the weight of the slavery and a dirty conscience. In 1 Timothy 1, Paul tells us that the aim of our charge is love with a love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. God should be remaking, reforming our consciences. And it's miserable to live in a dirty conscience. It's miserable to live with a conviction that we we know that we're living contrary to. And so if someone has the the right conscience, a good conscience in this area, then it means that them living in this sin is is going to be their conscience railing against them. And that's a miserable way to live. And so we need to lead those people to a hope that leads to repentance and offers them freedom. For people who, whose conscience is not um, 
uh, firing in this area who's that's not convicting them, it means that their conscience has been seared. Paul talks about our conscience being seared, and many people have a seared conscience because uh, they've numbed it because they can't possibly live with the weight of a dirty conscience. And so then the goal is to allow the Holy Spirit to speak truth into them, to reform their conscience, to give them biblical convictions, then offer them hope of the gospel that they can live a different life. Number six is this. He claims that chastity isn't sustainable. And that's just not true. Uh, Paul tells some in 1 Corinthians 7 to stay single. To claim that chastity isn't sustainable is to undermine the power of the gospel. I lived for many years as a single man thinking that I might be single for the rest of my life. And I had to be okay with that because I had to understand that I have everything I need in Jesus. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. So Jesus has given us everything he, everything we need through him. And so to claim that that singleness or chastity or sexual purity isn't sustainable is to completely disregard the power of the gospel. Sam Albury put it really, really well in his response. He said, but I am not immune from temptation. And when any leader suggests to me that chaste obedience to Christ and singleness is not sustainable, he's saying the very thing to me that the devil says. That is such a powerful statement from Sam because I've seen that lie being told by the devil to so many people, including myself at times, that singleness and purity is not sustainable. So I guess I'm going to have to give in to sin. And there is no gospel hope in that. That's what the devil wants us to believe. And it's tragic that a Christian leader uh, would claim that that's true, would, would repeat that same lie into people's ears and say, the gospel is not sufficient for you, so it's okay for you to live in sin. Number seven, Andy says that people in same-sex marriages chose it for the same reasons that everyone else uses marriage, love, companionship, and family. But I'm sorry, that is not a biblical uh, goal for marriage. That's not a biblical vision for marriage. We shouldn't uh, pursue marriage for love, which is just culture defines as a feeling, companionship because we're afraid of being alone because we think that the Jesus isn't enough, or for family, we, we, we shouldn't idolize after family. And I see many people trying to deny themselves of, the, of same-sex attraction because they want to one day be married and have a family. Well, what if your spouse is barren? What if you can't have kids? What if God takes your kids away from you from an early age? That is not what our hope is in. We need a better, bigger vision of marriage, which is a marriage of dying to ourself uh, as, as Christ died for us. Marriage is supposed to be a picture of the gospel. Paul tells us that marriage is a picture of the gospel that is a picture of dying to herself that is supposed to be a picture of Christ's love for the church, which he gave up our lives for the church. And so we are to display that in marriage. So we don't pursue marriage based on just companionship and feelings. We, we pursue marriage based on God's glory and the way it displays that. And so I think that Annie's problem here is that he doesn't have a big enough view of marriage. 
And that's a problem that much of the church has. And so we need to redeem that. We need to redeem what biblical marriage is and the vision that God has for it. I have pastors and church leaders regularly reach out to me about speaking at their churches and events. If that's something you would be interested in, feel free to go to calibrateministries.com and fill out the contact form. And I'd love to talk to you about what that would look like. Number eight, he is allowing his theology to be formed by people's experiences and feelings. The most controversial conference speakers were Justin Lee and Brian Nitzel, whom Stanley described as two married gay men. He also says they're Christ followers today, so he tried to claim that they're they're okay in their relationship with Christ, even though they've accepted their homosexuality. And we know that that's just not true. But he said that they came to the conference because we need to learn from their experiences. And so I have a problem with that because if we claim we have fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, we lie and did not live out the truth. That's what it says in 1 John 1, 6. And so these people are not living out the truth. They don't have true, real fellowship with God because they are walking in darkness. And so I think we have to be careful at how we elevate someone's experiences. And I think that experiences are important. I share my testimony in many places. So obviously I believe in sharing experiences, but I share my testimony to show that my experience is based on the lies that I had believed, that my experience living in the gay world with a gay identity and the gay lifestyle was a result of the lies that I had believed. So I want those experiences to point people towards God's truth and hope and repentance. Now, can we learn from someone who has yet to repent? Oh, sure. Like, there's probably some truths in their life we can learn. We can learn to understand where their heart is at. Hopefully, uh, learn the lies that they're believing. But we 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 do that to be um, informative, not to be subscriptive of what God desires for us. We don't platform them in our churches. We mourn for them and we call them to a better life. And so he's idolizing experience over the truth of God. Number nine is this. He really seemed to be sly in his words and be sneaky in his theology uh, while claiming that there is no change in his theology. This vagueness is not loving. And Gavin Ortline, who is a very well-respected theologian, had a great response to this ambiguity. And I don't think I could have said it better myself. And so I'm going to share with you what Gavin had to say. I worry about an an ambiguous definition of love. So amen to the call for compassion and love. And seriously, I don't just say that glibly. I mean, we really need to take that to heart and at times do some repenting and reflecting and listening about that side of things. And same with creating a safe environment for people to come and and receive the gospel. But what does it mean to show love to people? I worry that a lot of people will respond to Stanley's sermon thinking that maintaining the traditional view of sexuality is unloving. Okay, there's a couple of reasons for that. But to say my main concern right here, for those of us who are teachers of Scripture, we must understand that giving people clarity about what God commands is loving and giving them 
ambiguity or error about what God commands is unloving and unkind, and it isn't compassion. You see that in Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount right now. It's lurid and intense. Uh, it's bracing. Every Sunday I get up there and I say, look, I got to read our passage and it's going to be a wrecking ball from the Holy Spirit, <laughs> just demolishing our pride. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is so intense and yet it's, it comes from a loving Savior because he's telling us this is what you got to do. Christianity is not easy. Christianity is hard. It's a call to come and die. It's not something we're capable of. You know, it's like a camel going through the eye of the needle. Only God can do it. It's supernatural. So uh, we point here is simple. We, when eternity is at stake, the loving thing to do is be absolutely crystal clear about what Scripture teaches. Absolutely. And so being vague is not loving. And um, as I was watching Gavin uh, talk there, um, it, it really almost made me emotional because uh, I deal with so many people who um, are confused and they're hurting and my heart goes out to them uh, and they want freedom. They need freedom. And so it, it hurts me to see a Christian leader with so much influence. He was causing so much deception and confusion amongst people. And so my last thought is number 10 is his shift is deceitful. First Corinthians six, do not be deceived. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about homosexuality. People can be deceived. And when we as the church deceive them, we will be held accountable. And so it pains me to say that there is going to be blood on Andy Stanley's hands. And he says that uh, um, they're making a shift to, to save lives. That's not true. As people engage in sexual sin, the suicide rate goes up. Their depression goes up. I deal with on a daily basis the devastation that people have to experience from saying yes to sin and it mourns my heart and it grieves me that people are going to say yes to sin because of Andy Stanley and because of the shift that they've made because he's bought into the values of the world it grieves me and it mourns me and it makes me honestly a little bit angry as it should you because People's eternity is on the line. People's eternity is at stake. And Andy Stanley is going to be held responsible for that. So we need to be vigilant. We need to be on guard. We need to embrace God's standard for sexuality. And we need to make sure that we are not deceived like Andy Stanley has been. All right. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, we pray that as you go throughout your week, you can embrace God's standard for sexuality. Make sure you check out CalibrateMinistries.com where there's other resources, there's other podcast episodes where I talk about clarity and all these issues and where we share stories of hope and stories of God's grace and we show that the gospel truly is sufficient to live different lives. Thank you. 